10 minutes it is before 8 p.m. You tuned in to our wrap of the top business stories, and uh, I'm joined uh, to take a look at some of these stories by a bright Kumalo analyst at Vestact Asset Management. Bulaz, good evening to you. Unjanba. I'm good, my brother. Let's start off here, Mbulazi. Uh, TikTok, it seems uh, many of those who are uh, devotees of TikTok, uh, I guess, uh, complaining here about uh, its looming end. What's happening here? And uh, give us some of this context. Sure. So there's many moving stories here in TikTok, but the biggest one, obviously, is that it's been basically used, uh, or should I say politicized, you know, uh, in the, you know, the Sino-US um, trade, I don't know, fighting or, you know, battle. Um, and obviously Donald Trump has decided that TikTok is a, is a great way um, to make a point. Um, and, and as a result, he wants to shut it uh, down, um, you know, in, in, in the United States for various reasons, you know, including the fact that he says or he claims that they, you know, they, 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 they're stalking the U.S. people that use, you know, TikTok. Well, the Chinese state stops mm. people using, you know, the app. So it's been a very big problem. Um, and obviously, he, he said, you know, he, he put a date, you know, the 14th of September, and he says, if anyone, you know, anyone being a, a, a United States company buys it and it becomes a United States company, um, it, you know, there won't be any problems, right? But the trick here is that he wants a piece of the pie. Uh, he, mm. To quote him, he said he wants a significant amount to come to the U.S. government for, for, for that. But they, the U.S. government is not even brokering the deal. Uh, yeah, but I mean, based on what? Like, like, yeah, I mean, based on what? Why, why would the U.S. government have a stake? It, it doesn't make any sense. If you want a stake, you have to cough up capital like every investor you know, did on TikTok. The funny story, the biggest funny story in all of this, Ayabong, um, uh, is that you know, back in 2016, TikTok, well, ByteDance, the holding company of TikTok, the Chinese company, mm. right, bought a very small, very fringe business in the United States in 2016 called Musical.ly. If you remember Musical.ly, what is called TikTok today? So they grew it from uh, something around 20 million or, or so uh, active users per month to the business that it is with over 2 billion um, you, you know, users a month today. So it's, it's insane that now they have to buy a piece of the business at big multiples, you know, 50, 50 times multiple of their revenues, which is the equivalent of between 40 billion US dollars to 60 mm. billion US dollars uh, today. But only the United States portion cost that. Because if you look at the total valuation of TikTok uh, in the private markets, it has gone up as much as 137 billion US dollars in total. That's the whole uh, ByteDance group in terms of valuation. Wow. Okay. So uh, certainly one we're going to be watching quite closely there because uh, it will certainly, uh, I guess, uh, shift things up uh, uh, on the basis of a network and a platform that has become very, very popular uh, among uh, the younger cohort. But um, let's shift our attention now to the asset forfeiture unit. Now, Mbulazi, uh, I, I certainly didn't know much about this uh, up money pyramid scheme, but uh, it seems that many other people did because uh, they managed to uh, attract uh, just over 40 million rand by way of deposits. Uh, now, they've had their bank accounts frozen, but um, I guess it's uh, one typical case of what we often find from time to time when it comes uh, to uh, all of these different pyramid schemes that come in waves, it seems. Yeah, I mean, the financial sector, you know, conduct authority, FSA, has never actually 
been, you know, active in, in shutting down these pyramid schemes. I'm actually quite proud that the asset forfeiture unit has actually, you know, gone out of its way to ensure that South African people's money don't go into these pyramid schemes. And obviously, up money is just one of many, and this is about 18.5 million rands involved, like you said, mm. uh, which, you know, listen to this, it could, well, potentially 230,000 people have fallen victim to this scam. This is a lot of South Africans that could be saving in a legitimate way, but because, you know, these term schemes appeal um, to, to, to the very short-termism of, you know, you know our, you know, impulse decision-making as, you know, individuals, um, a lot of people almost lost their money here. Hopefully not a lot of people have lost their money, and those who have been part of the scheme actually get their money back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, um, as with all of these schemes, uh, we can hope that people are able to get their money back, but uh, it's, it's never assured, and I th- guess that's the real pity here. Uh, and Bulazi, I mean, talking about big monies involved, uh, I was quite interested in uh, this particular deal now, cash build, buying up uh, Pepco's The Building Company, Buco, uh, uh, as many of us would know it as. What do you make of yes, this? Yes. And I guess uh, it also happens in a context where also, Cash Builder put out some uh, guidance here of uh, their operating environment as well. Correct. So, I mean, um, you talk about the building company. So, Cash Builder basically wants to buy, you know, this subsidiary uh, from Petco. Petco is, you know, what got what's remaining basically of Steinoff, if you know, I put it differently. Um, and this unit that they want to buy, they had, you know, um, total revenues. Um, of around 8.2 billion rands. They operate mainly in Southern Africa. Well, let me just say, in South Africa, under the brand Buco Timber City, some people know Bill Grant's Altoria. Uh, that's what, you know, is in the building company, uh, which, you know, includes all of those brands. In terms of number of stores, you know, 171 stores locally here in South Africa, you know, seven stores in Namibia, two in Botswana, one in Zambia. So, not that big outside of South Africa, so it's, a, it's an it's a in-focused business. But what it means uh, for, for for cash flow, which is a you know uh, you know um, a, a, a do-it-yourself you know kind of building company, um, they didn't have much exposure to coastal you know um, uh, provinces here in South Africa. So now this gives them the exposure to actually be in those and actually also tap into you know the higher LSM. Um, you know, talking about that middle to higher-end LSM. So it's going to be a nice diversified building company, uh, you know, where you'll be buying your cement all the way to your tiles, uh, even your roofing, you know, talk about a, a one-stop shop for building. So it's going to be quite interesting if the deal does go through. In terms of yeah, the yeah. actual price of the deal, I think the price is right. Um, I guess management... Uh, you, you know, we'll have to make the decision there, but I think the price... You, you don't think Cash Build is getting this asset for a song? I mean, you know, 1.1 billion, right? You don't think they're getting it for a song? Uh, that uh, I, don't, they, I don't think... Because under I, normal I, conditions, they probably wouldn't, would have probably paid more, don't you think? Of course, of course. But um, everything has to, to take every scenario with its surrounding environment. It's not going for a song song, but it's, uh, it's probably definitely going for mm. a number uh, relative to what you would call, you know, sexist parents, a normal environment, all things equal. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly one we're going to have to follow quite closely here. But I found it quite interesting. And uh, also on the back of that, uh, we uh, saw 
uh, a cash build uh, uh, early on today, uh, coming out with them. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, seeing their share up uh, over two percentage points uh, to around 160 uh, or so and uh, giving the group a market cap of just over 4 billion rand. Uh, but what do you make on Bulazi of how the share prices performed for 2020 in the context of a very tough uh, environment for all, I guess, construction-related stocks or, or any stocks uh, whose uh, uh, performance is linked to the fortunes of the construction sector? Yeah, so usually, you know, um, home improvement businesses like Cashfield, because it, it's not only dependent on um, new buildings, new construction, right? So uh, we've seen as people were working more from home, there's been a lot of home improvements to ensure that, you know, you have a home office for those who can afford it, right? So that, that has been the move from the one to the other. So this means businesses like Cashflow tend to benefit short-term from such a move. Um, other businesses that benefited from such a move would be uh-huh. businesses that sell um, uh, workout equipment, uh, you know, yoga mats, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, it's not a big surge, but it is a surge. Yeah. All, all of those brands that are at Long for Life, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, right, long, long for life. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of the, the share price um, itself, year to date, I mean, it, 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 this year it actually went all the way down to, uh, I think, around 101 rand a share. Uh, we're back at 162, so it has recovered quite mm. nicely post that, that, that COVID stress we saw uh, at the end of March and at the beginning of April. So uh, home, uh, home improvements, um, you know, seem to be quite resilient in this environment. But looking forward, yes, uh, those projects, those big projects, uh, these businesses do depend on a lot of those big projects coming through. And if we're not seeing, you know, a lot of construction and those infrastructure projects coming through from the government side and from the private side, it's going to be very hard for a business like Cashflow. But luckily, yeah. a, business, a business like Cashflow has been run very conservatively. This company um, has not had a lot of, you know, debt in its balance sheet for a very, very long time. And that has saved it in many, many instances, including the one that we're in today. Yeah. Let, let's talk briefly, Mbulaz, I mean, just also about the wholesale import business, which uh, I guess is a big part of the building company's offering uh, alongside uh, some of the services they offer for uh, uh, building contractors and uh, their delivery networks. Uh, you know, how much of a boon is this going to be uh, for uh, a cash build uh, because I guess the benefit isn't only ab- about being able to access coastal consumers at a different LSM. It's also about being able, I guess, to, to access uh, some of the cost savings that would have come from uh, the supply chain of the building company uh, and how that was configured. Look, in terms of um, combining the supply chain together and obviously trying to find uh, any value accretion in that process, like you're saying, uh, in FMCG, we used to call it, you know, when you make your product from farm to fork, you want to ensure that you control the quality throughout. Um, uh, uh. And on the one side, yes, you do, you know, control the quality. On the other side, you do control the costs, right? Because you, you don't want these, um, you know, widgets that you're buying to be coming from too many suppliers uh, where you actually can't bargain for the correct price to bring down your bulk pricing, right? So um, I think there might be value to be actually gained by combining these two businesses together uh, when you look in, in the supply chain front. I mean, 
um, some of you know the the, the, the biggest imports in terms of materials are you know received from uh, places like Japan. Um, but again, this this, this is until we actually see it come down to the balance sheet, we can only speculate at this point. Uh, yeah, yeah. We yeah. Need to see but what's happening? Yeah, yeah, and I guess so. And uh, I mean, a lot of. Yeah, a lot of the plays that we're going to see during this difficult moment uh, with the consolidation in certain sectors is really uh, uh, about some of the bigger players sort of putting their balance sheets to bear and uh, effectively, um, I guess, uh, elbowing in and uh, getting a bigger chunk of the marketplace. But Mbulaz, I want us to take a look at what's happening uh, in government bond markets. Now, um, uh, it seems, I guess, not only just uh, on the back of some of the uh, credit ratings downgrades that we had, but also some of the uh, jittery and uncertain sentiment in the marketplace. That, that's had, a, um, I guess, uh, uh, a downward effect on uh, bond prices and uh, uh, somewhat of a spike in yields, probably not as much as what we saw in March, but uh, it seems that uh, some of the risky conditions continue uh, in our government bond markets. Yeah, correct. I mean, um, you're talking about... Um you know, foreign investors in terms of holding our government debt being at a eight-year low, uh, as we look at it today. Um, you know, we're talking about you know foreign holding being 30.1 percent, meaning uh, about 70 percent or 69.9 percent is now held by uh, the CIS uh, basket of investors, right? So that's a collective investment scheme. Um, I'm I'm always two ways about this. I'm always, you know, a little bit mixed in terms of the defense here or the offense because on the one side, uh, when you're born by AAA, for example, the demand for them is quite high uh, because they're seen as not risky. The government is able to pay back its coupons as per promise, etc., without any, you know, haircuts and other bad things we've seen. Uh, But also in the African front, we don't have a, you know, a, a long history of defaults. Uh, we're not like the likes of Argentina and a lot of countries in South America, Brazil, etc. So we, we, if you look at us in that great uh, pot or in emerging market pot, we're definitely the, the, the cleanest shirt in the, you know, the dirty hamper or the dirty laundry, right? But in terms of demand for our bonds, maybe there is actually internal demand or maybe um, there's not enough demand in the AAA space or in the space where... You know, pre us being junk, right? But always when we move from one uh, rating to the next, you attract a different set of uh, investors in that. Because right now at junk bonds, you know, we, we, we've gone from uh, attracting a different type of investor to attracting the likes of Howard Marks, who specifically run funds that, you know, focus on distressed debt. So uh. I don't know about if demand is, you know, evaporating, but... Uh, there's still definitely demand for our, our local bonds, I'd like to think, as a patriot, you know, an SA sure, first sure. young man. <laughs> yes. I'd Aye, like to I was Bulaz, I mean, I guess the, the other question just on this front, uh, you'd recall when we saw the statement of assets and liabilities coming from the central bank uh, at the end uh, of July, I think, uh, that uh, there was a slowdown in, you know, the purchase by the central bank of government bonds in the secondary market. And they said, you know, they felt that conditions had stabilized somewhat. When we look at these numbers, you know, uh, foreign government uh, bond purchases at eight-year lows, 
Does that indicate that, uh, I guess, we're out of the woods when it comes to, to the limitations and uh, when, I guess, that action by the central bank should be called off? Look, there was that secondary option where uh, the bonds were basically, the demand for our bonds were basically, you know, snapped up in the first two hours of the auction, right? So that was uh, quite interesting and it gave us, as South Africa, you mm-hmm. know, the confidence we needed, right? If we didn't have any confidence going into the secondary. But again, I'm going to come back to the uh, the yield argument, uh, which, which is what I didn't touch on earlier. South African government bonds, our 10-year is yielding 8.78%, right? The U.S. 10-year is yielding 0.077%. If I go across to Europe, across Europe, it's, it's yielding, you know, the 10-year is yielding less than 1%, negative 1%. Mm. So it's, uh, it's again, if you look at emerging markets uh, and you're saying, okay, I'm attracted to this yield. Now let's look at things like um, sovereign risk, um, political stability or instability in our case, etc. We are still much better than Venezuela, Argentina, Chile, you name it, the whole of South America combined. We're still better than Turkey, we're still better than um, India, we're still better than um, Russia. I can go on these emerging markets <laughs> because as much as our politics, uh, we don't have, you know, an oligarch, we don't have uh, you know, cryptocrats that are going, you know, far and wide and beyond, like Argentina, we still have somewhat a working democracy that, you know, is, you know, um, being challenged by, you know, other parties, not just one party ruling everything and it's just corruption left, right, and center. So there's still some political stability. And I think if you asked me and you said, right, Kumalo, here's $2 billion, run an emerging market um bond fund and, you know, defense bond fund. So I think I would be mm. probably at the top of my list, not because I live here. Mm, what a patriot you are. Risk. No, no, just because of all of those <laughs> different factors that I've actually set you and calculated. Um, and getting money in and out of South Africa is relatively easy as compared to mm. all these other countries mm. I've mentioned again. Uh, if, you, if you know anyone who's invested in India, they'll tell you it's impossible. Capital controls. And one of these days we must have a debate about that. Uh, And I guess uh, because there is a flip side to that. And, uh, you know, some of the hot money that comes in and out of our country also has a lot of implications for our macroeconomic balance. But, Bulaz, let's leave it there, my brother. Always a pleasure catching up with you. Uh, Brian Kumalo is a uh, awesome stuff. Portfolio manager and analyst at Vestac Asset Management speaking to us for our business wrap in the next few minutes or so. We're going to go into our SMME exchange and we're going to be in conversation with Wandile Mukhanedi. He's the founder of uh, uh, Container Structures and uh, he's uh, going to be speaking to us uh, this evening and uh, talking to us about his uh, business there and uh, we are going to be checking in with him in the next few minutes.